Blog Talk Radio. It's almost as if he had to set up these barriers that he could then leap across or stagger across, but get across in any event, always. I'm going to give you this election back, and if you'll give it to me, I won't be like George Bush. I'll never forget who gave me a second chance, and I'll be there for you till the last dog dies. And I want you to remember. How many second chances, right? How many second chances does any one person deserve? You know, Clinton's view is as many second chances as a person is willing to try to take. You know, I mean, as many times as you fail, don't you deserve the chance to redeem yourself? Um, isn't history loaded with people who have fallen and gotten up and fallen and gotten up and fallen and gotten up and done great things? We will together build a bridge to the 21st century wide enough and strong enough to take us to America's best days. Will you do that? There's a stick to it in this about him that's just phenomenal an abiding belief that if he can just have enough time, he can win over just about anybody. The central repetitive theme of Bill Clinton's life is loss and recovery. Never count him out because always he will find his way back. I end tonight where it all began for me. I still believe in a place called hope. Where does it come from? The unwillingness to quit on himself, on the things he believed in, on the people he cared about. He disappoints them every time on some level, but he always gets up and tries to make it better. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio, a very special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And tonight, we raise the bar as we recognize one of the nation's, one of the nation's greatest leaders and presidents. That's William Jefferson Clinton, known as a pillar, if you will, of Washington. And I'll tell you what, tonight we reflect on his impact on a nation and on the world. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and the AJC Radio team. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a good one. As we begin to talk about the, uh, the uh, President uh, Bill Clinton, uh, the Clinton Global Initiative, the impact that that is making in the lives of millions, if you will, across the globe, and the impact of what he did while in office, uh, done, some, done some pretty good things. And I'll tell you what, um, it's going to be an interesting show, William, as we begin to look into the life of President Clinton uh, and all the things that he has done. His popularity rating is as good today as it was when he left office. Uh, a very popular president among the people, a very well-respected president uh, yes. by a lot of people, definitely the American people. And uh, as we were researching for this show, I'll tell you what, I was very impressed with some of the things that he did. And he's just that southern country boy from Arkansas uh, that kind of got down in the, in, the, in, the, in the trenches and came up 
president of the United States. Your thoughts, William, on that? Well, I can relate as a Southern country boy myself. I, I, I tell you what, though, he, his accomplishments were just, I mean, they were jaw-dropping. The things he's done as a president uh, has not been seen in quite some time. And so to look at him coming from his, from his uh, background and being born in Hope, Arkansas, a small town, I think about maybe around 8,000 people, to being president of the United States um, is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And the, his track record, the things that he's done, has just been amazing. But I, I like the intro that said he believes if he can have enough time, you know, he can convince people and, uh, and basically move things and move, move our country uh, forward by, you know, good, solid leadership and initiative. So I think he's, he's just a great president. Oh, no, absolutely, Cliff. And uh, my thoughts exactly the same. I mean, excuse me, William, uh, thoughts exactly the same as we begin to, begin to reflect on President Clinton. And you can say what you want to say about him. You can say you don't like him. You can say he's this or that. But we have the stat sheet, as Cliff alluded to last week, on President Clinton. And I'll tell you what, those stats look pretty good, uh, bringing the economy to some very record numbers, uh, reaching out to the middle class, even reaching out to the poor, uh, veterans. I mean, you name it, President uh, Bill Clinton uh, did all of those things. And, William, our disclaimer for our listeners before we get started. Yes, we are not attorneys, and it just calls does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend, to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, William. We appreciate that. And, uh, folks, I'll tell you what, uh, we always, we're going to ask you at the top of this show, before we get into President Clinton and his legacy, we're going to ask you to go out to change.org, sign the petition uh, asking President Obama to grant clemency to the IRP-6. And they are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, Patriots of America, and we have crowned them really as heroes of this nation that need to get their work uh, uh, implemented in this country and around the world for what they have done. Phenomenal work in creating software, all six of them responsible for that software, William, uh, and the impact it can have on the safety and the national security of the United States. Please, again, go out to change.org. Search, search IRP6, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to sign that. Also, we're going to invite you to go to YouTube. Uh, retired federal judge H. Lee Serikin did an actual dramatization play uh, in regards to the miscarriage of justice that happened to these six men. Simply go to YouTube and search the race card face up, and I'll tell you what, it is something that you want to see. Uh, and, William, as we get a little bit into this a little bit before we get into the program tonight, uh, the IRP6 are needed now. Yeah, and I'm absolutely. going to say needed yesterday uh, as ISIS continues to build momentum uh, and ultimately uh, will hit these shores if we don't get ourselves in position to be ready for them. Absolutely. I think, I think we as a country, we need to wake up and we need to take an interest in our own safety. Um, right now, our federal government, we're looking for you know, our leaders to try to help, and they're doing the best they can. But right now, we have six men that are sitting in prison wrongfully, wrongfully. The solution, the Silk software, is out there. I mean, it's better than it's ever been. But for four years, these men have sat in prison. This software has been on the shelf. It's ready to go, ready to help our law enforcement, both on the state and local level, help. And, and I mean, it, this, is, this is an imperative. 
that people will need to wake up. We need to get these men out, and we need the government to start implementing this so we can get things like the link analysis, the confidential informant, all these modules that are out there to help law enforcement help, uh, help fight against terror. No, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. Uh, this is reality, and what we're talking about is something critically important uh, in regards to the national security and the safety of this country, our children, not only the safety of our country, but also the allies as well uh, that are actually included uh, in this, in this, in this uh, effort. Uh, and I think a lot of uh, folks are trying to get involved here. Uh, Just Cause has been in contact with a few people. Uh, things are happening, uh, and we need to get something done immediately. Again, go out to change.org and search IRP6 and sign the petition today. Uh, when we were sitting here talking a little bit, uh, this, this political season has been one that uh, is far from conventional, uh, given everything that's happening. But there are some things going on um, as we have to uh, stress the importance of getting out the vote, yes. telling folks to get out there. Uh, listen, we're less than two months away or right at two months, I believe, is where we're at right now. Uh, before it is election day, I'm going to implore you to please go out, vote, make your vote, make your voice heard. It is critical, uh, William, and the ramifications, if we don't get out there in the numbers, uh, we're, looking at, we're looking at some, some serious uh, challenges ahead for That's this country. Right. That's right. I mean, we need to wake up as a country and take this uh, really as, as, as citizens of this country. We have the right and responsibility to, to go out, let our voice be heard by our casting our vote. And becoming, uh, I think, more educated about the issues that we're facing. Not necessarily live in a tunnel that says, you know, or in a, in a box that says this is the issues that not only face me, but what, uh, this, the issues that face us, that others face. And so, yes, it's our responsibility to get out and let our voices be heard. Cast your vote. Um, I heard one guy say, well, you can't complain if you didn't cast your vote. And so, you know, it's important that we really... Uh, understand this has not been a conventional election, this, our election year. We have seen, uh, I mean, just ups and downs from the candidates. We're seeing mixed messages from candidates, and, you know, I'm not here to point a finger, but um, you, we really, really need to educate ourselves, and we really need to come up to speed with uh, the news that's going on, the current events, the breaking news that's happening concerning uh, uh, our these uh, these two uh, delegates that are out here championing for our votes, and don't just don't just say, you know what, I'm 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 a Republican, so I'm just going to go vote Republican, or I'm a Democrat, I'm just going to go vote Democrat. Educate yourself, and then make an informed decision. May go out and make a decision. Say this is what's going to be good for our country, not only me and my family, but for our country. So I think that's in that's very important. Mark. No, absolutely, and uh, again, we're not going to tell you which way to go or what what side of the aisle you need to be on uh we simply got to say look it's, it's critical that we get out and, 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 and vote uh it's our constitutional right and we need to definitely take advantage of that uh, before you know it it's going to be here and uh, uh that's just the way the the ball simply bounces uh ladies and gentlemen you want to feel free to get in on the conversation tonight feel free to dial 319-527-6216 the number again is 319-527-6216 if you have a comment in regards to this show, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll do our best to get to you as we get through this conversation tonight. On the other side of the break, uh, we're going to be talking about President, 42nd President of the United States, Bill Clinton, uh, his impact on this country, and what he has continued to do 
to affect people around the world. He's a true humanitarian, uh, and he said in one, uh, you're going to hear from him tonight in some clips, people honoring him, uh, but he made one statement, and he said he wanted to make a difference in the world after he left the White House. He wanted to continue to do things that made a difference uh, and impacted lives. And I'll tell you what, you're going to learn a lot about, a lot about that tonight. Again, the number is 319-527-6216. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of the break. I'm Lamont Banks. This is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Temperature right now, 82 degrees, partly sunny. You couldn't ask for better conditions, if you will, whether you're on the golf course or the tennis court or in your backyard with your laptop or your phone to your ear listening to AJC Radio. And uh, it is kickoff season uh, the 2017 football season, folks, if you can pull away from the TV, uh, I know the Denver Broncos are playing. However, this information tonight is critical. We're early on. You won't miss too much. Come back with us, won't you? Grab a cup of coffee. Summer's over, folks. we got to get the hot brew. We'll see you right here next on AJC Radio as we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the We'll see you then. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%, less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself, in the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. 
But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind, but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make make a difference. difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America and our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is a special spotlight on Capitol Hill as we have to show honor to the 42nd president of the United States. And I think honor belongs to all of our presidents uh, that held that office. And tonight we stand, tonight we're going to focus on uh, President Bill Clinton. Uh, And I'll tell you what, as we were talking prior to the beginning of this program, uh, William, I'll tell you what, President Bill Clinton, not only as a two-term president, with every obstacle you can possibly think of that he faced, he continued to keep the American people at the forefront of his agenda. 
Yes, he did. And th- th- how do we know that? The statistics bear it out. Uh, the economic growth, all the things that happened during that time with uh, President Bill Clinton, the efforts of First Lady Hillary Clinton, all the administration, there was a lot of things that got accomplished and a lot of things that really got done well. And, and uh, William, when we get into this as we go, uh, we're going to find that there is a lot of information. That I think the American people may not know. We're going to go into the conversation about the Clinton Global Initiative. Uh, that foundation is doing huge huge things and uh regardless of what you may hear on tv i'll tell you we've done some homework on the global initiative and i'll tell you right now uh that is needed and much uh it's very necessary to have something like that that's not only impacting the united states but it's impacting the entire world and the human race william that's that's absolutely right i think he he basically he saw the opportunity and he saw the leadership that was placed upon his shoulders and said listen i can I can take this outside of our our borders and our boundaries and and bring some of this, you know, globally to those that are you know undeveloped countries, countries that just need assistance. Help them establish and move forward. Help you know, and we'll go into all that stuff. But it, it's really amazing what he did, you know, in in his eight years in office. And not only that, uh, Cliff. He also uh, President Clinton, uh, being governor of Arkansas, made some huge. Uh, impacts there that his work there as governor was praised by both Republicans and Democrats as a model uh, uh, to this country as far as getting initiatives and things done uh, in regards to even how he governed. Uh, it was a feeling uh, that he was governing to the point that of really, really governing and being concerned about the American people, even down there in Arkansas. And he, uh, from that platform, he was propelled to the presidency. Right. And he brought that same uh you know, level of, of governance over to the presidency with all the, the impact and all the changes that he brought uh, to America. I mean, when you just you look at his legacy uh, as far as, uh, you know, the amount of jobs he brought, the uh, health care initiatives, uh, just everything that he did during his two terms in office. I mean, for for the country to have, uh, you know, a, a surplus, I mean, when's the last time we heard that word? Right. about the uh, national budget. I mean, we had trillions in surplus, uh, things that it, it seems so far away, so far away from being reached now. But uh, Bill Clinton was the president that, uh, that you know, brought that to fruition. It was a, a time. I mean, you think of even, even gas prices. You're talking about gas was less right. than a dollar a gallon. And this was this was uh, this was not too long ago. Right. Um, you know, of course, the war in Iraq, uh, you know, soon very soon shook us uh you know by the neck as far as gas prices but bill clinton the the things that he did while he was in office uh it, it is it is a legacy there's there's not, not another word that that can be used for it well and if you're a two-time two-term president uh, you must be doing something right, right. If, if you're going back after four years and it says here that uh president bill clinton uh was the first who took first president to take office at the end of the Cold War and was the first baby boomer generation president. Uh, and speaks a little bit about his appeal to young people as well. Uh, he had a connection and still to this day has a popularity among the American people, a very likable president. Yes. Uh, and his favorable uh, uh, ratings are very, very good, even at the level when he was actually in office, if not a little bit higher. During the administration of President Clinton, the U.S. enjoyed more peace 
and economic well-being than at any time in history. He was the first Democratic president since Franklin D. Roosevelt to win a second term. He could point to the lowest unemployment rate in modern times, the lowest inflation in 30 years, the highest home ownership in the country's history, dropping crime rates in many places, and reduced welfare rolls. He he proposed the first balanced budget in decades and achieved a budget surplus, as Cliff alluded to, as part of a plan to celebrate the millennium in 2000, President Clinton called for a great national initiative to end racial discrimination. I mean, Cliff, when you hear those, I mean, you, I'm going to use your words going forward on this program. These are clearly the stats, and we haven't even got past the, I mean, past the first page. But think about that number, and, how, and then you'll still have people saying, oh, President Clinton didn't do nothing. We don't want to go back to what Clinton was doing when he was in office. Well, it sounds to me... Uh, we were booming in a very, very big way. Yeah, there no nobody. Well, you would think nobody would try to argue that uh, it was a bad time in America when President Clinton was in office. I mean, I mean, the, the things that were going on as far as the economy, uh, you know, his his um, the way that he handled foreign affairs. I mean, it was a time of peace, but the the uh, you know the allies that he brought in. Uh, to America on the global stage, the amount of nuclear weapons that that uh, he helped to get dismantled. I mean, to end the, they they give you know uh, President Reagan uh, kind of give him the credit for ending the Cold War, but President Clinton kept the country out of any type of conflict. You're, you're talking about for for uh, for you know the full term that he was in office, and it is it's just astonishing when you look back on those days and think, man. Could we? How could we ever get back there? How, how could how we how could we get the American economy up that high with that that um those type of jobs and uh, the the uh, you know the amount of people that were were actually employed and uh, I mean I can't get over the surplus. Absolutely, it, America was as they say, quote unquote, on top of its game at the point at the time when President Bill Clinton was in office. Oh, absolutely. It says uh, at the time, uh, President Clinton successfully dispatched peacekeeping forces to war-torn Bosnia and bombed Iraq when Saddam Hussein stopped United Nations inspections for evidence of nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. He became a global uh, prominent uh, proponent, excuse me, for an expanded NATO uh, more open international trade and a worldwide campaign against drug trafficking. Uh, he drew huge crowds, and when he traveled through South Africa, Europe, Russia, Africa, and China, advocating U.S.-style freedom. And we'll get to this a little bit later as well. Continuing his work as a, as a lifelong public service, President Clinton created the Clinton Foundation in 2001 to improve global health, education, economics, and environments, affectionately calling him do-gooder-in-chief. President Obama has worked with Clinton, President Clinton to make buildings in our country more efficient, uh, announcing a $4 billion investment in energy efficiency upgrades for commercial buildings. I mean, I have to tell you what, there's a lot of presidents, uh, you don't hear them doing the things that President Bill Clinton is doing, and it is, I believe, is phenomenal. He goes further here. In 2009, former President Clinton partnered with 43rd President Bush to help rebuild Haiti after the country was devastated. Uh, I'll tell you what, you're talking about crossing the aisle, you're talking about working with a Republican president who's gotten a lot of the blame for a lot of the things 
And it, it seems like Bill, Clinton, uh, President Clinton's vision is, is, one, is one ended, and that is to make a difference, and it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you might be, uh, he is, seems to be William committed. And these are, these are worldwide impacts. These are not any, anything that we're talking about tonight. It's not something small. When you're talking about joining with another president to rebuild uh, the country of Haiti after devastation, that speaks volumes, William, your thoughts. Absolutely. I mean, it, he, he basically takes up, uh, takes his opportunity, takes the, the power uh, his influence and said, listen, we got a country that sits right off our borders that needs help. It needs assistance. A lot of a lot of the U.S. citizens are uh, are have Haitian roots. And so no doubt he realizes the fact that, you know what, this this not only helps them, but it's also helping us because they they are friends um, and they are also family, you know. And so so really, it's, it's amazing. But I think it also speaks to it speaks to the fact that he knew as a as a when he was in office that he had to reach across the aisle. And he had to make, you know, not only reach across the aisle, but set aside some things to make things better for us as a country. So he had to work together. That's what I, you know, really I want to say. He had to work together with others in government to get things done. And he, and by, you know, by these stats, he was very successful in doing so. Well, and that's the sound of a leader. Uh, bottom line, that is a leader who knows what to do. Uh, and I was taking a look at uh, some of his moments. And we're going to hear a little bit about that uh, at his State of the Union addresses. It was a different time in this country. Congress, at least, didn't appear to be as divided as they are now at times, uh, because I saw the entire gallery standing up applauding him. Yes. And the Speaker of the House was standing up applauding him. And he seemed to have this type of aura, if you will, or uh, charismatic, if you will, type of way to relate to people and to really get them to listen that's what he had to say. We're going to have a few moments uh, and some of the, the highlights of uh, President Bill Clinton as he has been on this journey. Let's take a listen to what the president had to say along the way. Harry Truman would be so proud tonight that his party and Walter Mondale are leading the way in giving a great woman the opportunity to run for vice president. Michael Dukakis will never, never, never forget it. In closing, well, I ran for president this year for one reason and one reason only. I wanted to come back to this convention and finish that speech I started four years ago. So if you want to know why I care so much, about our children and our future, it all started with Hillary. I love you. Thank you for your nomination. I uh, don't know if I can find a fancy way to say this, but I accept. She's been a great first lady. She's always been there for our family. And she'll always be there for the families of New York and America. Now, my hair's a little grayer. My wrinkles are a little deeper. You might remember that when I was in office on occasion, the Republicans were kind of mean to me. 
But as soon as I got out and made money, I became part of the most important group in the world to them. It was amazing. Hillary told us in no uncertain terms that she is going to do everything she can to elect Barack Obama. That makes two of us. I want to nominate a man who's cool on the outside. But who burns for America on the inside. And by the way, after last night, I want a man who had the good sense to marry Michelle Obama. President Bill Clinton making uh, making it plain, if you will, in his conversation. The enthusiasm, William and Cliff, that you hear from the crowds. President Clinton had a gift to get really get inside of people and to relate and to connect with them. Uh, this is something, William, that very few leaders, unfortunately, this is not something that you're taught. No. This is something that is given. Cliff, when you think about that, you hear the crowds, the enthusiasm. And what I like about President Clinton is that he went so far. If you know anything about the political campaign, if, you know, before Barack Obama took office, it was very grueling uh, for Hillary Clinton. And, and, and uh, it was a tough campaign. They both committed their loyalty, if you will, to step up to the plate and say, you know what? It's not something that's just words. There's true affectionate uh, clip with uh, uh, President Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, uh, President Obama, excuse me, and this whole process. And you can hear it in what he says. And, and he's out there really pushing. That's that's to me the sign of a true leader. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even from the first time that, you know, uh, President Clinton, that he campaigned. I mean, the things that you remember. Uh, I can never forget. President Clinton going into, you know, the inner cities, the ghettos, uh, the hood. And I mean, because you see, you see some uh, candidates try today to say, okay, I'm going to go to a, a black church or I'm going to go uh, to the NA, NAACP or something like that. Bill Clinton went to the community center. And when I say community center, I'm not talking about a Denver Broncos game. I'm not talking about you're in a forum in a beautiful, wonderful place. I'm talking about the Boys and Girls Club. The Boys and Girls Girls Clubs of America. And and these are not, you know, they do a great work, but these are not wonderful, beautiful places that, you know, you say, hey, you know, I'm going in, I'm taking the family, we're going to take in a hockey game and, you know, buy some $10 hot dogs and some some $15 drinks. No, this is where the inner city kids go when they have nowhere else to go in the middle of the summer. That's right. Looking for some type of relief from the sun, from uh, maybe gang activity, trouble, violence, that they end up at the boys club and the girls club. And, and for President Clinton, I remember him standing outside of the community centers uh, there in California in LA where I grew up. And, and, and I mean, when you tell somebody, oh, yeah, I'm going down to the boys club, that, that's not saying I'm going to a great place where I grew up. That could be, you know, outside could be a dangerous situation. Inside, maybe a little better. But when he stood outside there and, and, and he said, I've held crack babies in my arms, that will forever 
resonate with me because you you didn't see that many candidates going down to those places and saying, I'm going to come in and see how the people feel. I'm going to see what you're dealing with. I'm going to see what a uh, mother who's addicted to such a drug as crack and has had a child that is born addicted to that drug for him to hold those children and the, and the feel that. And when you heard him say it, you knew he felt it. And at that point yeah. you're like, okay, this can be a president for the people, for the people, all of the people, not just, you know, Democrats or Republican, not just the rich or the middle class, but the poor people, the ones who felt like, uh, you know, they didn't matter that we didn't matter. President Bill Clinton, he brought America together. No, without question. And I saw a clip last night uh, where President Clinton was in a town hall uh, and a senior citizen began to share her heart with him about how prescription drugs had went up and she couldn't afford the medication and she didn't know what she was going to do. And the tears rolled down her face. She began to weep in that, in that form. It was very small. And President Clinton before being president, went over there and got on his knees and he hugged her and cried with her and said, it's not right. It's not right. We're going to change that. You're talking about getting down and making people believe and feel. And again, it's not a show. No. When I saw it, I was so moved. And I said, that is who President Clinton is. You can say again what you want. The look on President Clinton's face when that woman was crying, you, that's not something you can put on there, you can fake. And when he got on his knees in his suit on the campaign trail and got on his knees, he hugged that woman like it was his own mom. That, my friend, is what you call a leader. And why we tonight shine the spotlight on President Clinton. By the end of President Clinton's first year, President Clinton had battled Congress to secure adoption of an economic package that combined tax increases, which fell mainly on the upper class, and sending cuts, which hurt mainly impoverished Americans. His 1993 economic package passed without a single Republican vote in either, in either chamber of Congress. And despite that party's dire predictions that it would result in economic chaos, this economic policy lowered the deficit from $290 billion in 1992 to $203 billion by 1994. And by 1999, surging tax revenues from a booming economy had generated, as Cliff alluded to earlier, a surplus of $124 billion, a development few would have thought possible in 1992. Surpluses amounting to $1.5 trillion were then projected for the first decade of the 21st century. Equally important were the pace of economic growth and low inflation. Combined with historically low interest and unemployment rates, these factors positioned the American economy as the world's strongest and the most robust. Do you get that? Cliff, you touched on it, man, but I'll tell you. 124 Billion dollars, not one Republican vote. Not one. And they made the statement to him, this is going to be chaotic. This will never work. But President Clinton Cliff had a vision of something, and what he saw apparently goes to his credit. Exactly. I mean, to, to project in 10 years 
that the country would have 1.5 trillion dollar surplus that that does not happen you're talking about a tri- when you think of the magnitude of a trillion dollars and then you say that's what basically we have in the bank i mean with with a surplus like that even even with the uh, you know the 140 something billion dollar surplus what it means is that no country can force you to do anything uh, because you don't need a loan from anybody. I mean, you you don't need to take anything from anybody. At that point, you're saying, hey, we are the king of the hill. This is America. We don't need anything from you. We'll work with you. But just in case you thought you were going to try to manipulate us, there there is no there is no manipulation because we don't need anything from you. It it put us at a point where anything that America needed, whether it was health care, whether it was uh, national defense, whether whatever it was, we said, well, we have money in the bank. All we have to do is uh, we we can pay for it. it. There it is. Money is not an issue and for a country to be able to say that. That's something. Big. Well, and to make the and the the statement here is that. It put America as the world's strongest yes. and the most robust. I mean, that is amazing. And how you cannot take that's history. You cannot take that from President Bill Clinton. I don't care how much you like him or you don't. You can. That is a fact. As Cliff said, these are the stats. And you can't do anything with them. On some other issues like passage of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which cleared Congress in 1993, President Clinton essentially endorsed Republican programs and benefited from Republican support. On others like welfare reform, the Republican-controlled Congress accepted Clinton's lead, President Clinton's lead, in publicizing the issues, but dominated the writing of legislation, creating the actual programs. In the summer of 1996, Congress passed a sweeping reform bill fulfilling President Clinton's 1992 campaign promise to end welfare as we know it. The legislation replaced the longstanding aid to families with dependent children program with a system of block grants to individual states. It also dropped the eligibility of legal, of legal immigrants for welfare assistance during the first five years of their residency. President Clinton also won an increase in the minimum wage to 515 per hour. At the same time, the president blocked Republican attempts to bar public education to children of illegal immigrants. The stats again. William, your thoughts on that? I'll tell you, that's amazing. When you look at that, the last line that you read, he blocked the attempts to bar public education to children of illegal immigrants. Now, I mean, you know, I I don't know how you want to look at that. The way I look at that is why would you want to deny a child this right to education, but I mean to go and fight for education for these children, to go and, and, and win an increase in the minimum wage. I mean this is, this is incredible what he has done, and for, to fulfill that, that campaign promise to end welfare as we know it, I mean that's, that's amazing. But then to turn around and see the needs of illegal immigrants, seeing their needs for, to, have, um, to have assistance – there for the first five years of their residency. That's amazing to me. I mean, he's giving, he's, he's helping them fulfill their American dream. 
and he's helping them to realize it by providing assistance and helping their children get an education. It's awesome, and, and, and it, it doesn't stop there, folks. President Clinton also put women in several other important posts, treating women equally in his administration. His campaign media manager, D.D. Myers, was appointed press secretary, and California econ- economist, excuse me, Laura D. Andrew Tyson, became chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Florida environmental of- official Carol Browner, also Al Gore's one-time legislative assistant, was named to the top slot in the Environmental Protection Agency. Additionally, Dr. Jocelyn Elders, an African-American who was serving as the Arkansas Health Director, became U.S. Surgeon General. And when Supreme Court Justice Byron Wright retired in 1993, President Clinton named Ruth Bader Ginsburg as his replacement. Ginsburg was federal appeals court judge who had taught at Columbia Law School and pioneered the litigation of cases involving sex discrimination. President Clinton also named several African-American males to leading posts in the administration. He, he tapped Democratic National Chairman Ronald H. Brown as Secretary of Commerce, former Mississippi Congressman Mike Espy as Secretary of Agriculture, Jesse Brown, a disabled Marine veteran who ran the Disabled American Veterans Office in Washington as Secretary of Veteran Affairs, and Clifton Wharton Jr., Chairman of TIAA CREP as Deputy Secretary of State. Latinos were also appointed in more substantial numbers than in previous administrations with former San Antonio, Texas Mayor Henry G. Cineros as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and Federico Pena as Secretary of Transportation. Cliff, you're talking about a diverse outreach purposely done to, to diversify his administration. And he didn't just sit back and wait and say, well, we'll do that. He immediately began to move. He immediately began to move to that fact. Cliff, that is astounding. That's right. I mean, there are not many, uh, I mean, not many world leaders who have accomplished what President Bill Clinton did. And, you know, people, they, they can say what they want about him, but uh, the, you know, history speaks for itself. The things that this man did for the American people, for for the for the world, because when America was strong, America's allies were strong. Amer- the the uh, countries that America helped were strong. Everywhere around the world became a better place because of the strength of America, and that is what you know. When you look at the world stage, that is what America. That's the history of America. You know, the, the home of the brave and the, the uh, land of the free. That is what America is about. And when you have a president that uh, helps push that and puts legislation and policy in place to get us to where we were the strongest economy on the planet, that made every other country strong. That, that made our allies stand up and say, um, those who are our enemies, you, you better not mess with me because America is stronger than ever. And, and those that, you know, that we did trade with, that, hey, America has what it takes. It can back up what it says as far as what America will buy because America has the money to do it. They have the policies in place. And Bill Clinton was integral in ensuring America's place on the world stage to say we, we are a stronger nation and a, 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 a stronger world. When he was in office, that is amazing. When you look at it, Absolutely. to say, okay, this man helped, and you know, not not like he's a superhero, 
but his policies and the things that he did helped to make the world a better place to be during his uh, during his his uh, terms in office. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, you've just got the appetizer so far. We're coming back on the other side of this break with the main course, and we're going to get into his accomplishments, President Bill Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, the impact. Folks, please come back and be with us. We're coming right back on the other side of this break as a special spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday continues as we honor America's champion. President Bill Clinton. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We know you care. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And, folks, we're having a good time here. Feel free to call in and chime in on the topic tonight. 
I'll tell you what, uh, President Bill Clinton has received the name the champion of the American people. And I'll tell you what, he was America's champion doing his accomplishments. And what he did in that White House for eight years is absolutely over the top, William and and Cliff. uh, We're all back to to continue this discussion. Uh, Feel free to call 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. Uh, And uh, this has been a good one. We're going to go down a little bit now uh, about the Clinton presidency, the historic era of progress and prosperity. Again, just adding to the fact we kind of touched on a little bit. I want to give you a little bit uh, specifics on that. Uh, Longest economic expansion in American history. Think of that for a moment. Not Not for a decade, not for a century. He said in American history, the longest economic expansion in the history of America. The president's strategy of fiscal discipline, open foreign markets and investments in the American, uh, uh, in, the, in America rather, it helped people create conditions for a record 115 months of economic expansion. Our economy uh, has grown at an average of 4% per year since 1993 during his term. That is absolutely amazing. More than 22 million new jobs were created in less than eight years, the most ever under a single administration, and more than were created in the previous 12 years. It sounds like to me, Cliff, President Clinton came in and set precedent, precedent, excuse me, and when I tell you he raised the bar of what could be done if people are willing to be smart and work together, that is how this came about. Yeah, and I mean it really speaks volumes to what happens when a uh, when a when a, when Congress will actually work with their president. When Congress will see that you know the good things that a president is doing and basically take those and say we're on board with you, that we will help you to implement these. I mean to be able to get 22 million jobs, more than 22 million jobs in eight years. That is just like the the uh, stats say. That's unheard of. And previously, it took you know more than 12 years to get that same amount of jobs. That is the type of thing that happens when you have a president that is uh, you know that not only people like they relate to him, but they relate to him, and he's able to bring Congress together and say, let's get these things done because it is what's best for the American people. It, it's, it's astonishing. And the highest home ownership in American history, th- yeah. that, when you look at things like that, it, th- what it takes to do that, it, I mean, that is a feat upon itself. The highest home ownership. I mean, because you don't just go out and say, okay, everybody go out and buy a house. The economy has to, has to be, I mean, th- you know, the, the saying that the stars have to align, things have to line up properly to allow that that many people to own homes, it, it, it's it's astonishing when you when you look on. Well, the absolutely, I mean, when you talk about, and we're going to go into the uh, in, in, uh, unemployment rate here. Well, we're going to play a clip here, but to your point, uh, Cliff, highest home ownership in American history, strong economy and fiscal discipline kept interest rates low. That's leadership, making it possible for more families to buy homes. The homeowner uh, home ownership rate increased from sixty four. 0.2% in 1992 to 67.7%, the highest rate ever, ever. That's awesome. We're going to hear a little bit about the legacy of President Bill Clinton. Hang on. We will together build a bridge to the 21st century wide enough 
and strong enough to take us to America's best days. Will you do that? There's a stick-to-itiveness about him that's just phenomenal. An abiding belief that if he can just have enough time, he can win over just about anybody. The central, repetitive theme of Bill Clinton's life is loss and recovery. Never count him out, because always he will find his way back. I end tonight where it all began for me. I still believe in a place called hope. Where does it come from? The unwillingness to quit on himself, on the things he believed in, on the people he cared about. He disappoints them every time on some level, but he always gets up and tries to make it better. You know, what else can you ask from a sinner? Success, misjudgment, in some cases catastrophe, followed by comeback. That resilience is central to who he is as a politician. I think it's central to who he is as a man. from the political backwaters of Arkansas, like a country tornado, one newspaper wrote. What's your name? A political natural unlike anyone had seen in a generation. But in the winter of 1992, as Bill Clinton began campaigning for president in New Hampshire, he was still a relative unknown, eager to win over voters and his young campaign staff. It was just so clear that he was exceptionally talented politician from the kind of get-go. How do you get the ideas we developed in America into manufacturing jobs here? There are little... His ability to adapt, his ability to walk into a room, to size up an issue, to understand. I've never seen a, a, a candidate, never seen a human being who, who, with the most limited briefing, can understand the, the dimensions, the parameters, the, the, the nuances of everything, of any kind of a policy or political problem. If, if we had a, a broad-based national health policy, it would never be in anyone's interest not to hire you because you... He could see six sides of the Pentagon. In a primary field crowded with Democratic candidates, Clinton's determination and skill quickly distinguished him from his rivals. His aides nicknamed him after a legendary racehorse, Secretariat. You spent two hundred dollars on medication. Yes, two hundred dollars. I want to spend on medication. There was this famous instance just before the New Hampshire primary. A woman started talking about that she couldn't afford the drugs that she needed to survive, and she started to cry. And Clinton's reflex action was to get down on his knees, put his arms around her, and he's crying too. The story that I heard from people over and over was for that one moment, he looked me in the eye, he touched me on the arm, he listened to my story, and I felt like I was the only person in the world. Well, there you have it. Uh, Cliff, a pretty clear um, picture of President Clinton and the people even talking about the president. They don't come a lot in our lifetime. 
what we saw in President Clinton. Uh, you say, they say the greats come once in a lifetime. Uh, not sure if that applies to politics, but they are rare when they do come and make a difference. And President Clinton has made that difference in such a profound way. Right. I mean, because first, before you, um, I mean, sure, President Clinton was a politician, but before that, he was a uh, a caring individual. Case in point, the situation with him and this this woman who said, you know, she just cannot uh, afford her, her medication. And he got down. They, they said that his instinctive act immediately. Is that you know not oh there's some cameras right, or right. or uh, here here's a uh, you know a photo op no he he gets down on his knees and cries with this woman and says it's not right and we're gonna fix it those are the type of thing that uh, as a person who he is all he did was take who he was the man uh, William Clinton and he brought that and applied it to the presidency and and it worked and it showed that not only uh, was he a, a crude, efficient, uh, phenomenal politician that could get both sides of the aisle to work with him, but that as a man, as a human being, I mean, Bill Clinton is a likable guy. That's the bottom line. But then to take that and mold it with, uh, you know, with information and knowledge and, uh, and some form of wisdom to, to, to handle the presidency, that is what made him a great president is because people... People had, you know, they had great, they had faith in Bill Clinton. And like they said on that clip, that when he came and he sat down with you and and he held your hand and and put his hand on your arm and looked you in the face, that for that moment, they said you felt like the only person in the world. That's awesome. That is what what it takes to say, okay, I care and I'm concentrated on your issue. And then you take that and you apply that to a president. There's. You can't have a better president. Well, and that's not only in the human side of things. The entire everything work functions well when you have a person moving from the heart. Uh, We were talking a little bit about the lowest uh, unemployment in 30 years. Unemployment dropped from more than 7% in 1993 to just 4. Excuse me, just 4% in November 2000. Unemployment for African Americans and Hispanics fell to the lowest rates on record. And the rate for women is the lowest in more than 40 years. I mean, these are not temporary numbers. These are numbers that are shaping and molding the culture of a nation. William, when you hear that and what Cliff just said, give us your thoughts on that. Well, you know, as Cliff was talking, I was thinking at some point you have to be genuine. You can't just be, you know. A front, and that's what this his president was. I mean, for if, for his instinctive reaction to go down there and comfort this woman, you know, and I, and I think that's well, that's what he has. He has some level of of genuine. He cares, you know, and, and he really cares. He cares about these people. He's reaching out to. He understands the needs, and so that's what made him so effective. You, if you can't relate to people, you're not going to understand what they're going through. You're not going to understand their problems or their needs. So you don't know – you don't have a sense of urgency to move for them. You don't have a sense of urgency to help them change their lives. So that's what – he cares. He genuinely cares about the people. And now even today, after his, after his tenure, you know, here he is again in the public spotlight championing for our country. He's out here fighting again, you know, saying, hey, we, we need better. We deserve better. And now here's the direction for the country. So, I, you know, it's just amazing 
It's amazing what he's done. No, absolutely. Uh, states here that they, uh, during his presidency, raised education standards, increased school choice, and doubled education and training investment. Since 1992, reading and math scores have increased for 4th, 8th, and 12th graders. Math uh, SAT scores are at a 30-year high. The number of charter schools has grown from one school to more than 2,049 uh, schools. Uh, and all 49 states have put in place standards in core subjects, and federal investment in education and training has doubled since his presidency. So you, you look at all the charter schools that have gone up, President Bill Clinton, championing education uh, and doing those things. And it states here, largest expansion of college opportunity since the GI Bill. President Clinton and Vice President Gore have nearly doubled financial aid for students by increasing Pell Grants to the largest award ever, expanding federal work study to allow one million students to work their way through college, and by creating new tax credits and scholarships such as lifetime learning tax credits and the HOPE Scholarship. At the same time, taxpayers have saved $18 billion due to the decline in student loan defaults, increased collections, and savings from the direct student loan program. All of this happened during his tenure, uh, Cliff, in Washington. That is amazing. I mean, you just go down one after the other of what this president did, what he put on the line. And he accomplished a lot of this in spite of opposition. That is what leaders do. And when you look at this, I mean, these are accomplishments that um, that everybody relates to. This is not just, oh, he you know, cut taxes for the rich or he made it so corporations uh, could hire. You, the largest expansion of college opportunity since the GI Bill. The GI Bill, for those of you who may not know, was to say that if you come join the military at a time when America needed soldiers the most, to say we have a war to wage, if you, if you join the military and you happen to make it back from war, America will, the taxpayers will put you through college for free. When you're talking about this was a time wow. of peace. <laughs> yeah. This was not, okay, you're going, to get, you're going to go to college because you joined the military. This was a time of a surplus and peace where President Clinton said, we're going to take this surplus and we're going to apply it to the people. We're going to apply it in the best way, not just hold it in the bank, but we are going to make grants, government grants to say, we are going to give you an opportunity to go to school. All you got to do, you know, a Pell Grant, keep your grades right. Grades up. Grades up. Wow. You get a free ride through college. That is, and, and then even the people who got who got loans, um, it says that the taxpayers saved $18 billion due to the decline in student loan defaults, meaning more people were able to pay off the student loans that they that they had taken and, out and incorporate the grants that president exactly you done. get you get the grant you got an education you were able to get a job because the economy was was fabulous and then you were able to pay those student loans i mean this is it's amazing the, uh, this is the machine of america <laughs> yeah. working the way this was a well-oiled machine absolutely as they say, working the way that it was supposed to grants given to people to help them uh get through college and then you know, being able to get a job for the loans that they took to pay them off. Student loans not going in, into the default, that's, un, that's unheard of. The, the default 
the defaulted student loans uh, today is astronomical right. for this $18 billion in, in, in taxpayer, uh, you know, Saving. taxes Saving being, tax, yeah. being saving because student loans were being paid off. I mean, it, it showed that many people had because your student loan is kind of down on the list of things that you pay every month. You got your rent. You got your utilities. You got your car payment. You got your food. You got, you know, you're putting things away for your kids. But you're paying off your student loan. That means life was good. Life was good. And it goes further, folks, uh, that are in school today. And you connect it to the Internet. You want to know who was responsible for that? President Bill Clinton and Vice President Gore's new commitment to education technology, including the E-rate and a 3,000% increase in educational technology funding, increased the percentage of schools connected to the Internet from 35% in 1994 to 95% in 1999. 95% of schools were connected to the Internet, allowing your children to catch up with the technology to learn and to be to have the opportunities uh, that they're going to have, William, this is this is phenomenal. This is this is really mind blowing, because when you look at this, this is the foundation, uh, one of the one of the pillars of our country. Because I mean, if we are not educating our children, if we don't give them the opportunity to to better themselves through education, they're not going to go on and be better providers and and go on and achieve the dreams. So basically, if you look at these last three things that we were talking about, I mean, you're talking about, you know, SAT scores on a 30-year high. And then it goes on to, to increase funds through Pell Grants and things like that, funds available to kids that would normally not have means to go to college. Okay. It doesn't mean that they can't achieve. They don't have the intelligence to do it. They just didn't have the means to do it. Now he's giving them the means to do it. Yeah. And now he's saying, okay, you know what? Our colleges and universities, now let's introduce you to the Internet. And now let's expand, you know, this whole technology side. And that's amazing. I mean, that is really, really amazing. Uh, all these things are things that are really mind-blowing. When you look at it, this administration, what it was doing to help people and reach out to people for a better life. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And, and you know, we talk about gun safety legislation. That's huge right now in Washington uh, as far as trying to get something done. Say to the President Clinton enacted the most sweeping gun safety legislation in a generation. Since President Clinton signed the Brady Bill in 1993, more than 600,000 felons, fugitives, and other prohibited persons have been stopped from buying guns. Gun crime has declined 40% since 1992. Now, we have our challenges, and we got to deal with those issues, the terrorists and all that stuff which is critically important. But again, look again at President Clinton's record, his stats. I mean, the Brady Bill came, uh, that was important. Uh, and it, it came to a point to keep America, our streets, our citizens safe. Uh, you're telling me gun crime has declined 40% since, since 1992, 40%. Now you take that legislation off the table what do we have going on with all the threats of terrorism that face our country now? Where would we be now without that being at least put in place, William? Well, I, I tell you, it's, um, it, it's probably one of those things you look at and say, if it hadn't been, what would, what would we be now? Uh, we have seen tragedies. We've had seen 
significant things. We saw today uh, a shooting in a Texas school. You know, that was today uh, where a gun was there. But I mean, but still, legislation, policies, working across the aisle to understand that, listen, there's a big picture need. There's a big picture concern that needs to be addressed. When you look at the more importantly, you know, the lowest crime rate in 26 years, the yeah. lowest crime rate rate in 26 years, lowest since 1973. Yep, and I'll tell you what, we're going to continue. Let's hear a little more about the, the tribute and legacy of President Bill Clinton. We need to share the future, and we need to empower people to make the most of their own lives. From Bosnia and Kosovo to Vietnam and Colombia to Northern Ireland, he worked tirelessly to nurture peace and improve lives, efforts that continued through his foundation across the world. Places like the Central Highlands in Africa, where he was struck by the simple but powerful way people greeted each other every day. One will say, good morning, hello, how are you? And the answer is not, I'm fine, how are you? The answer translated into English is, I see you. That's inherently empowering. You have to be able to look at somebody and actually see them and at least imagine what their lives are like. I spent a lifetime trying to do that. In 1999, I graduated in the top 3% of my law school class. And in 2013, my son graduated from UCLA. If you get people out of poverty, then their children are likely to be out of poverty. I feel like I'm a Clinton baby. The reason why, you know, I, I aspire to get my law degree and get, get my, my, my business degree, he instilled that belief within my mom. In turn, she passed that down to me. Dear Cynthia, thank you for sharing your amazing story with me and for what you said about the impact of my presidency on your life and your son. Out of your troubled past came a mother, lawyer, and citizen who embodies the best of America. Help us make more of you. Sincerely, Bill Clinton. Tell me that you'll open your eyes. Tell me that you'll open your eyes. Bill Clinton had a good administration. I just like the philosophy of the Democrats. They tend to care for each other. You get up in the morning and you're really interested in giving people better life stories. There's always something to do. Mr. Clinton, I want to thank you. You opened my eyes when I was 18. I'm living the greatest dream I could ever imagine. Senor Clinton, mi casa es su casa. I will still write my own life story. That's what I tried to make people believe they could do. And there you have it, President Bill Clinton. And the accolades continue. People are talking about uh, this president, the, 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 you heard the gentleman say, uh, President Clinton, thank you. You opened my eyes, and I'm living the dream that I thought I could live. And I'll tell you what, 
that speaks just volumes to what President Clinton, and that's why we call this show tonight the legacy of President Bill Clinton and the impact he left, not only in this nation, but around the world. And I'll tell you what, William, it continues to uh, get better and better. States here that the smallest welfare rose in 32 years. Uh, the president pledged to end welfare as we know it and signed landmark bipartisan welfare reform legislation in 1996. Since then, caseloads have been cut in half to the lowest level since 1968, and millions of parents have joined the workforce. People on welfare today are five times more likely to be working than in 1992. I mean, you're talking about Cliff again, changing the culture. You're talking about a president that went in and changed the entire map and the uh, the architect, the architecture, if you will, of a nation. So when you start looking at and that's why we keep hearing the numbers 30 years ever in the history of the country, you're talking about shaping and molding the culture of a nation. You cannot take that away from him, Cliff. And the, the accolades just continue of what this man has done. Absolutely. I mean, you you look back and you say, OK, I think the thing that uh, that kind of gets you is, okay, what was the nation looking like before Bill Clinton took office? Because you see, okay, the amount of jobs that he brought in, the, uh, you know, the smallest welfare role in 32 years. You're talking about in the 90s? So you're talking about since welfare got implemented in, in, the, in the exactly <laughs> ever the, the best welfare numbers ever, the most people – so if it was the best welfare numbers, that means it was the most people uh, employed and the best jobs ever. Well, because people don't get off welfare just because they get a job. It's still sometimes you need help. You can say, okay, I have a job. I'm working, but I still got to make ends meet, so I need a little help. But to get off welfare and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting myself, that speaks not just to the fact that the welfare went down, but that the economy and the, the uh, jobs and the type of job, good jobs went up as well. Well, I go to your point, Cliff, earlier when you said when the economy, we it said the strongest in the world and the most robust. Check this out. Higher incomes at all levels. Just let that sink in for a minute. Higher incomes at every level after falling by nearly $2,000 between 1988 and 1992, the median family's income rose by 6000 $338 after adjusting for inflation since 1993. African-American family income increased even more, rising by nearly $7,000 since 1993. After years of stagnant income growth among average and lower income families, all income brackets experienced double-digit growth. Since 1993, the bottom 20% saw the largest income growth at 16.3%. Now, I mean, you got to you gotta look at that <laughs> and take that, you know, uh, l- l- let's break that down. Now, say, say you're, you know, you're, you're one of the families, say you're an African-American family and your income went up $7,000. What you have to do is look at, say, okay, well, let's look at the average income in 1993. If you were making $25,000 and you said, that's, that's what I'm bringing in. I make $2,000 a month. You're bringing in $25,000 and suddenly your income jumps by $7,000. Exactly right. 
I mean, you brought it. That is more than that. That's like you're talking about a 20, 25 percent increase of your income. You know the type of raise that is that is that is unheard of. And mm-hmm. for for the the uh, bottom 20 percent. So say you're a person that you're making twelve, fifteen thousand dollars a year, and then you make sixteen percent more than that. You're talking about your income just went up from fifteen thousand to almost twenty. That is quite the increase in your uh, in your pay. These, <laughs> to look at President Bill Clinton and say you caused my income to go from twenty five thousand to thirty thousand, you got me a a fifteen percent increase in my income. I mean, there is that leaves you speaking of what president has done that plus having a surplus. And I think the good point here that points out higher income. At all, all levels, levels. All that levels. America as a nation, all of us rose. That is what the ideal situation is for the president of the United States. And folks, it continues to get better. On the other side of this break, we're going to come back and talk more. I mean, you're talking about lowest poverty rate in 20 years, lowest teen birth rate in 60 years, lowest infant mortality rate in American history. Folks, we're just getting started. Grab something to drink and come back with us, won't you? This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. The champion, America's champion, President Bill Clinton, making more than an invention. He's making a tsunami effect on this nation. And we're going to talk about it on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration 
We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And we're having a good time here at AJC Radio. Feel free to dial in to the show, 319-527-6216. I'm Lamar Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team. And I'll tell you right now, folks, if you're wondering if there's an extra flag on your front lawn, it may have a little bit to do with the patriotic spirit, if you will, that has taken place in America, and no doubt tonight, but definitely during the presidency of President Bill Clinton, the champion of America, if you will. That's what I've called him, at least. And, uh, again, we haven't got, gotten through half of the material on this man, and we're appreciative to what he is doing and what he has done for this country, and we continue to uh, dissect that. We're going to hear a little bit more, folks, uh, about some other issues. Uh, continued uh, uh, clips on the legacy of Bill Clinton. We're coming right back after this clip. In the weeks to come, Clinton rolled up primary victory after primary victory. Florida and Tennessee and Minnesota. In early June, he surpassed the number of delegates needed for the Democratic nomination by winning the California primary. The election for America's future begins tomorrow. It is not about me. It's about all of you. Even though he's winning voters over and winning these primaries with bigger and bigger margins. The news coverage, you know, for the general electorate is one of a politician you would never make president of the United States. You could not possibly trust this guy. The polls would ask the question whether he has the honesty and character to be president. The numbers got worse and worse and worse. Now we reached a point where we said we can't just allow that to be the narrative through to the convention. Let's restore the sense of trust. A team of top campaign aides planned a complete overhaul of Clinton's image, culminating in a nostalgic film shown during the Democratic National Convention in New York. It was called A Man from Hope. I was born in a little town called Hope, Arkansas, three months after my father died. I remember living in that old two-story house where I lived with my grandparents. I remember the film, I think, brought people back, okay, here's who this guy is, here's what we're really about, and we really have a strong candidate. My fellow Americans, I end tonight where it all began for me. I still believe in a place called hope. God bless you. 
and God bless America. With a rock anthem from the 1970s as the campaign theme song, Clinton staffers positioned their candidate as the young, dynamic face of a new generation. To complete the image, Clinton chose as his running mate the youthful senator from Tennessee, Al Gore. It turned the conventionalism on its head. He believed you don't dilute your message. You put a big underline and exclamation point, and this is a new generation, new ideas, new Democratic Party. Totally energized the general election campaign. Heading into the fall, Clinton had surged ahead of President George H.W. Bush and third-party candidate Ross Perot. With the economy still faltering, Clinton had found his issue and his voice. The crowd that's running Washington today has had 12 years to test their economic theory, and it's failed. The decisive event came in mid-October at the second presidential debate in Richmond, Virginia, when Clinton turned a question from the audience into a defining political moment. A woman stood up and asked a question that was on a lot of people's minds. How has the national debt personally affected each of your lives? And if it hasn't, how can you honestly find a cure for the economic problems of the common people if you have no experience in what's ailing them? And President Bush, said, I don't get it. I don't get the question. Are you suggesting that if somebody has means that the national debt doesn't affect them? Well, what I'm, saying I'm, I'm not sure I get it. Help me with the question and I'll well, try to answer. Clinton understood that she wasn't talking about the deficit or the debt. What she was talking about was the economy and the recession. And the body language was absolutely crucial at that point. He took two steps toward her. Tell me how it's affected you again. Um... You know people who lost their jobs, lost their homes? Uh Well, I'll tell you how it's affected me. I see people in my state, middle-class people, their taxes have gone up in Washington and their services have gone down while the wealthy have gotten tax cuts. I I have seen what's happened in this last four years when, in my state, when people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. That was giving the American public precisely what they wanted at that point. They had this brilliant foreign policy president. What they needed was someone who cared about them and who who was as scared about the economy as they were. And in that moment, he encapsulated that. I think we have to do is invest in American jobs, American education, control America. He was on his way to winning. Bring the American people together. But that was the deal closer. He closed the deal. Like a marathon runner nearing the finish line, Clinton spent the final 24 hours of the campaign in an all-out sprint, touching down in nine states. His voice gone, he could only wave at adoring crowds. During the course of this half hour, the man who likes to call himself the comeback kid, Bill Clinton of a town called Hope in Arkansas, will be projected the winner of the presidential candidacy of 1992. 
We had a new opportunity to seize the day for America with fresh ideas from a man who had the right heart, the right spirit, loved service, and could face anything that life was about to throw at him. My fellow Americans, on this day, with high hopes and brave hearts, in massive numbers, the American people have voted to make a new beginning. And there you have it. Uh, wow. Uh, William, the enthusiasm of the crowd, the, the energy of the room, of the, uh, really the energy of a nation that got behind Bill Clinton, and he said it best, America has voted to go towards change yes and whoever would have thought the change would have impacted the number of lives of the american people as we have been going down list after list name after name accomplishment after accomplishment of what this president has done is unprecedented well i think i think one of the things that stood out to me in his speech he said you know he was telling the lady who was addressing her he said how that would impact him he said if somebody in my state lost their job more than likely i would know their name and he's talking about you know the he was talking about what he faced in arkansas and that was probably key to his presidency he's saying listen if they're facing this in arkansas low to middle class families that are losing their jobs no doubt this is throughout the country this is just not arkansas and so his probably being a governor there helped shape him because he was dealing with people that are struggling and and the economic disadvantage, probably the education that they were facing, a lack of education opportunities, all those things. And you could see how that just rolled up into a – from a state-level picture to a national picture, and, buddy, he tackled it. He it's, tackled it. It's, it's just mind-boggling when you get into the discussion of what he has done. We want to turn our, our attention now. Uh, President, of course, is not in office now, but uh, his impact – is no less in what he is doing through the Clinton Foundation. I'm just going to name a couple of things. Uh, this Clinton Foundation really uh, has been the heart of President Clinton, uh, Hillary, uh, and Chelsea. They have committed their lives to service. And uh, I'm going to give you some stats on this, folks. We talk about this. You can say exactly what you want, but this is what it states. Led the fight against AIDS. AIDS has been a killer uh, in this country, but not only this country, around the world. Uh, the President Clinton's foundation and the Clinton uh, Global Initiative's efforts in the fight against the spread of HIV-AIDS goes all the way back to 2002 with the inception of the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Farm DeBag Martin Streckley, notwithstanding the cost of anti-retroviral uh, uh, drugs 14 years ago, was way more expensive than it is now. Some African nations were paying upwards of $1,000 for each AIDS patient. The idea behind the Clinton Health Access Initiative was to lower costs by uh, instituting buying in bulk. The World Health Organization reported that by the end of 2013, more than 11.7 million people were on 
uh, uh, antiviral therapy in low and middle income countries. Moreover, 9 million people have lower cost HIV AIDS medication because of the Clinton Foundation. I mean, we're talking about leaving a, a footprint on the globe, not just Washington or the United States. We're talking about 11.7 million people, low and middle income countries, have benefited Cliff as a result of this drive, if you will, by President Clinton. He made it clear. He said, I, want to, he said, I will write my own story. He's writing that story today, isn't he? Exactly. And, and I mean, when you look at the things that the Clinton Foundation is doing, it, it, this worldwide outreach, this is about, I mean, this is about lives. There's one thing to say, okay, as a president, I'm helping with the economy, I'm helping to get jobs. But you're talking about saving lives. The, the, the uh, biggest tragedy of the uh, AIDS and HIV ec- epidemic is not the fact that the people, you know, get these diseases. It's the fact that the drugs to treat them have right. been so far out of reach as far as cost um, for so many people. Uh, you know, like like you said, the the low income and uh, mid income countries, those third world countries that uh, you know most of the people cannot afford healthcare. And for the Clinton Foundation to say, look, we're going to buy the drugs in bulk, and we're going to give them to not just people who can afford them. We're going to give them to everybody that we can reach that needs medication. That is what, uh, what it's about. And when you, you look at it, that's not, that is not just uh, saying, okay, this is a man who's a politician who says, um, you know, I want to pass a law to do one thing or the other. This is a person who says, I want to save human life. I want to, uh, make the world understand that I know that all life is precious, not just, you know, the life of the rich or the life of the famous, but all life is precious down to that, uh, that little child somewhere in a hut in a third world world country in the middle of the jungle that nobody knows about. That child's life is precious, and that child deserves the right at health care. Well, and I like this part. Uh, another key factor for the Clinton Foundation is helping women and girls. Uh, one major component, the Clinton Foundation was working in conjunction with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to ensure that women and young girls in developing countries have better access to health care. Um, through No Ceilings, the Full Participation Project, Hillary Clinton vowed to bring down uh, mortality and malnutrition rates. Women in the countries participating in the program are now living longer than ever, According to the No Ceilings Report, women's life expectancy at birth has risen from the average age of 69 in 1995 to 73 years in 2012. Uh, again, affecting the lives, the future, uh, the contribution, the, 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 the human spirit is the best thing I can put on it. And Cliff, William, the foundation not only stops at protecting women and girls and people that are hurting, it also protects the wildlife kingdom. It uh, goes into conversation that uh, President Clinton, Chelsea, and Hillary uh, Clinton have been working to stop the practice of elephant poaching. Uh, the Guardian reports that Hillary and President Clinton and Chelsea first learned about the horrible practice of elephant poaching during a visit to Africa in 1997. Having such high-profile advocates like the Clintons 
has helped boost the fight against the illegal wildlife trade. According to The Guardian, 95 African elephants are killed every day for their ivory, which is high demand in Asian countries to make trinkets. The Clintons have pledged $80 million to help stop illegal poaching, working with conservation groups to create new technology that helps protect elephants uh, from, po- from poachers. Uh, again, where does, it, where, does it, where does it stop? Where does it end for President Bill Clinton? I mean, he continues to be a pillar of strength to this nation, William. Where, where does it stop? I, I think it doesn't stop, and I think that's what the probably one of the greatest things about this president is that just because he's not in office doesn't mean he doesn't have a part to play in, in impacting lives, and not only in this country but also globally. And when you look at the fact that health care, you know, health care at a global level is, is I mean, I mean, he understood he understood it for us. But he also understands that even as our country strives, as other countries that are lacking, they're hurting. Yeah. And so not only are they there, are they not seeing the, the economic growth, but they're also suffering from. You know, in this case, there, there's HIV, there's malaria, there's all these other things that are there, that are at a global level. And then the, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. I, you, you know, this man shows no sign of stopping. And he, he keeps going. And he took a moment to thank the supporters for the Clinton uh, uh, Foundation. Let's hear what he has to say. Thanks for your good wishes and contributions to improving the lives of people around the world. When I left office 10 years ago, I knew this was the work I wanted to do, but I couldn't have anticipated then that thanks to people like you, we'd be able to accomplish so much. Now nearly 4 million people have access to life-saving HIV treatment. We're preventing millions of tons of CO2 from entering the atmosphere. We're beginning to turn the tide on childhood obesity in the United States. And we're giving entrepreneurs and farmers in Africa and Latin America the tools they need to build their families and communities. With your support, I have great hope for what we can achieve in the next 10 years. Thanks again for all you've done and for making this such a happy birthday for me. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else to say. This, this has been one eye-opener. Um, I knew President Clinton was involved in some good things and making a difference, but when you begin to really uh, look at the legacy of this man, of our former commander-in-chief, uh, I can say we're proud that President Clinton occupied the Oval Office. Uh, because the numbers, Cliff and William, that we talk about tonight is unprecedented. It does not happen normally. Uh, the gentleman said earlier about President Clinton that he had a gift that when he walked in a room without much intelligence, he began to assess and to find solutions to problems and situations. That is a leader. In no uncertain terms, that's exactly what it is. William, when you think about leadership, and no matter what type of leadership, to walk into a room and assess a situation and set out, it looks like, and he held true to his campaign promises. He did. He held true to those. He did. He did. I mean, he, he came out the gate 
um, championing these causes and said, listen, this is this is what I campaigned for, and this is what I'm going after. I mean, just reading through this material, there's just, I mean, there's just so much here that even after office, you know, he was he was working with those uh, to give them access to to uh, you know corn and soy products and, and as well as training and marketing access. You know, this is part of this initiative for for the small holders of farms. Uh, it's just so much that is going on here uh, that is just amazing. And he's still – one of the points that I was reading here is more than five years later after January of 2010's earthquake, Clinton Foundation remains committed to Haiti and for Absolutely. a long-term recovery and by focusing on economic development and job creation. That's, that's just amazing. Uh, after five, you know, five years later, I mean, look, look at that. I mean look at that. And uh, the president had a farewell to say to the American people. Let's hear what he had to say. My fellow citizens, tonight is my last opportunity to speak to you from the Oval Office as your president. I am profoundly grateful to you for twice giving me the honor to serve, to work for you and with you, to prepare our nation for the 21st century. And I'm grateful to Vice President Gore, to my cabinet secretaries, and to all those who have served with me for the last eight years. This has been a time of dramatic transformation and you have risen to every new challenge. You have made our social fabric stronger, our families healthier and safer, our people more prosperous. You, the American people, have made our passage into the global information age an era of great American renewal. In all the work I have done as president, every decision I have made, every executive action I have taken, every bill I have proposed and signed, I've tried to give all Americans the tools and conditions to build the future of our dreams in a good society with a strong economy, a cleaner environment, and a freer, safer, more prosperous world. I have steered my course by our enduring values, opportunity for all, responsibility from all, a community of all Americans. I have sought to give America a new kind of government, smaller, more modern, more effective, full of ideas and policies appropriate to this new time, always putting people first, always focusing on the future. Working together, America has done well. Our economy is breaking records with more than 22 million new jobs, the lowest unemployment in 30 years, the highest home ownership ever, the longest expansion in history. And there you have it, a farewell from a champion, a leader, a warrior, who took America to a place that it had not known in quite some time. Tonight, AJC Radio and a Just Cause and Spotlight on Capitol Hill, we salute you, President Bill Clinton, for your public service to a nation and to humanity around the world. Tonight, we continue to reflect on what you have done and your accomplishments have been many. We salute you tonight, and we say thank you. Multiple awards has been given for the Clinton uh, Global Initiative, the Clinton Global Citizens Awards that goes out to hundreds of people who work in cooperation with the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Climate Initiative, the Clinton Development Initiative, the Alliance for a Healthier Generation Initiative, the Disaster Relief Initiative, Clinton Health Matters Initiative, one after the other, Awards, programs, 
to shape a nation, and he's done a great job. We thank you, President Bill Clinton, for your service. Right now, we turn our attention to one very important issue, the IRP-6. Who are they? Dave Sapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, wrongfully convicted for a crime that was never committed as they hold the key to keep the homeland safe. Right now, what you didn't know about the RP6. But just calls has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to the side, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am... Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out, because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper. And I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story Judge H. Lee Serrican, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game and what we have learned is that business actually is war 
when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send against. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it, what you didn't know about the RP6. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen of America, these are not fiction characters. These are real men with real families that were snatched out of society and their freedom taken without cause. Who are they? The RP6. Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Hoffer, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, the architects, all six of them in creating this software to make the homeland safe. And tonight we pick up part two from what we talked about the other night, William, in regard to the sophistication, but the simplicity of this software to adapt and to work with law enforcement uh, agencies around the country to help keep the homeland safe and to communicate. We were talking a little bit about the uh, conf- what, is, what is the, the terminology? Com- the confidential informant. Confidential informant. Why don't you explain a little bit about that as well? Well, uh, the confidential informant module is a module that was requested by uh, uh, with some requirements from DHS. Sure. And so what it allowed agencies to do is actually maintain these informants and their information, but in a secure manner. So that way, intelligence that they were gathering, information that they were gathering, they could actually share with each other without actually divulging who their informants were. Okay. And so, you know, the you can see the big picture there. We have a person of interest. We don't want to divulge who our source is, but this this person of interest, we need to be on the watch for this person. I and mean, that's awesome that that is so sophisticated 
uh, but it helps protect. I mean, that protects the the information. Yeah, it protects the, the informant, right. but also it, it it protects us because now the knowledge that we have right. is now goes across agencies. So let's bring it to today. ISIS is recruiting in the United States. We know this. Okay, and if an informant says, listen, there has been a rally here in Colorado Springs or something along those lines, and we have this person of interest that's talking about you know, this kind of hostile activity, you know, God forbid, then that information would roll up to Colorado Springs Police okay. Department, and it would roll up to you know, and uh, I, and, you know, continue to roll up the FBI and so forth and so on. And that speaks exactly to what we're talking about, Cliff, in regards to that software. It is critical, and we say this all the time, these six men – their information and their software can be used. This now becomes a matter of national security. This is national security, Cliff. How important is it that we get this on the table right away? It's extremely important. I mean, as we've said before, uh, this is the software that was requested by the Department of Homeland Security. They are the umbrella agency over uh, federal law enforcement, and this software needs to be put in their arsenal as one of the tools that they use to ensure that there's not another attack on our homeland. Oh, absolutely. So thank you for that. And I'll tell you what, folks, go to change.org tonight. As soon as you, or if you're online right now, go to change.org, sign the petition as we ask President Obama to grant clemency to these six men. It is a matter of national security. And this plea goes to all congressmen, senators, and the president of the United States to move quickly as America stands in the cross at the crossroad of decision. This is AJC Radio as we sign off tonight and, and commit this show and dedicate this show to the IRP6. Who are they? Dave Sapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Go out and sign the petition now. Until next time, America, good night. Thank you.